We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And basketball's patriarch passed away yesterday. So today we honor the great Bill Russell. Mike, there are so many directions and ways to discuss him. He was such a complete person, complete player, and the game's greatest winner. And I'd like to, to touch on as many aspects of him as possible over the course of this pod. You've met Russell in your travels. What do you remember of him as we think about his passing? Well, what a great loss for society, really, and not just in America, but in the world. And Bill Russell was one of the few figures who I think that the awe that he inspired was pretty obvious, even in a room of other awe-inspiring people. And so that would include mm. LeBron, that would include Kobe Bryant, that would include uh, Phil Jackson, and you know certainly President Obama, uh, who had some really poignant words about Russell today. And of course, he, he awarded him the Presidential uh, Medal of Freedom. And it's just a, this is a figure who, to me, defines so much of what America is. And what America has been for throughout his lifetime, throughout his 88 years. And mm -hmm. you can learn a lot about America, American history just following his life and tracing mm -hmm. what it took for him to get to where he got. And by listening to him and the honesty that he spoke with and not trying to sugarcoat how things were and not trying to not trying to, I guess, not allowing people to just apologize for it and and really being impacted by the racism and the bigotry and the uh, the unfairness that was met for much of his great career and his life. And and so while when he when he passed and I, and I got the news, it wasn't it, it was just more complicated than the, I'm trying to think of an equivalency. So if, if a if a great musician that you just don't know much about but passes, but you love their music. And you just kind of put the music on and you think, oh, man, like what a contribution to society. And this is uh, this is great. Like this music makes me feel a certain way. But for Russell, like we know how he felt about his life and about the things that he endured, and the things that he went through. So it complicated for me my reaction to it, where there's just still some kind of disappointment about where we're at today um, 
based on where we were when he started speaking and when he started trying to make what he hoped would be some progress. And of course, it's there in parts that certainly in the NBA community, um, we've come a long way and that's great. But society at large, we still have so far to go um, and towards those those issues. And, and that part, uh, Darius gave me some some additional sorrow when I thought about the loss of Bill Russell. Yeah, the fight endures. Right. And and that's something that I'm sure Russell understood well. Bill Russell, man, like an icon. Yeah. Yeah, this is a tough one. Someone had said like a few years ago, oh, man, it's going to be like 2028 or 2030. And we're going to see Bill Russell still like sitting courtside at an NBA finals game or handing out the MV, the finals MVP trophy that bears his name. And because that's what we've known as NBA fans. If there's one thing I love about being an NBA fan, it's that you will randomly see players who have been retired, sometimes a few years, sometimes a decade, sometimes multiple decades or longer, and you'll just see them. You'll see them at NBA events. You'll see them at other sporting events. And you just remember the greatness that was them. Bill Russell is one of those players who is held in even a higher esteem than most of those other guys who you might see, though, those old legends, those Hall of Famers. He is Bill Russell. He is the greatest winner in professional American sports. He is a leader personified. He's a leader within the sports world in NBA. He's a leader in terms of civil rights and the stances that he took. And he is one of those, when you said the patriarch of the league, like one of the things that the the vision of him that I have that sort of emblazoned in my mind is him sitting these last few years, almost every time I'd see him wearing his like Kobe Bryant hat and sort of the kinship that he had developed with Kobe and that leader for current players or more recent players who were always looking for ways to win at the level in which he won because this is still sports. And what did he play, Pete? 13 seasons? 13 seasons. 11 titles in 13 seasons. So 11 championships in 13 seasons, 12 all-star appearances, five MVP awards. So he played 13 seasons and won five MVPs. Almost every other year that he's in the league, he's basically winning an MVP award. And damn near every season that he's in the league, he's winning the championship. He's one of only a handful of players or three or four players, I think, who have won three consecutive MVPs. He is just one of the players that regardless of what you think of stats or anything else, he is symbolic of what it means to achieve in this league. And he did it in the face of... And during a period of time in in the United States where being a black athlete, while Mike correctly says that there's still progress to be made and, and we're still fighting for that progress, the progress that has been earned comes on the shoulders of a player like Bill Russell, right? Because he was on the front lines fighting for the gains that have that are now being seen today. And 
it's just sort of you have to hold him in in the regard that, like I was saying earlier, is just different from even many of his contemporaries because he is that guy. He is. And I, I'd like to speak on him as a player. Sure. Because that can often be lost, I think, uh, in memoriam of especially the, the older players. And I think it's in part our job to be like, actually, Bill Russell was that dude on the court too, right? And yeah. and that's important in this, like, I'm not saying that's the most important factor in all of this, right? But that he was that, I think, provides a certain degree of insight into his broader accomplishments outside of professional sports. And his attention to detail and his understanding of how it all worked together, to me, he's the game's first genius. Mike, he's the first person that understood the value of defense and rebounding. And you'd hear him speak on those rosters and he understood his place within it and that he, if he wanted to be a 20, 25 point per game guy, he would have been. Um, and there were times when he needed to be and he did exactly that. But he understood that he could do certain things that his other teammates could do. And rather than trying to overlap with them and try to outshine them, it was important to him to complement the rest of his team and make the whole better. And I think that's something that really stands out to me about Bill Russell as a person as a, and as a player. He had aims to make the whole thing better, and he did. And that was both on the court and off of it. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I think there's actually a tie in to what you were just saying, Pete, about the basketball and the mental approach to it and the genius that he had and part of what he grew to admire about Kobe and why he loved Kobe so much. And what we know about Kobe is that Kobe was obsessed with greatness to the point where he would he wanted to know how did Bill Russell do it? Like how what did he see about the game? How did and Kobe asked him? And so that that beautiful part of how that connection grew, I think, was the, like these two guys obsessed with winning and wanting to know how to do it and, and being willing to do it at all costs. And, and so this kind of kinship evolved. And that's where I really started to take an additional interest in Bill Russell, just aside like hearing Kobe talk about it, basically. Right. And you would see like you would see when Russell was there and Kobe was the finals MVP, um, which, of course, was very important to Kobe after especially after Shaq had been the finals MVP in their first run. And so this is in. Um, in nine and 10, right. When, when Kobe was there. And so along a lot of those press conferences has to do Kobe, like, how are you influenced by Bill Russell? What, like, what did you learn? And, and the way to hear him speak about that and how much time Kobe put in really understanding what made Bill Russell tick and also really contrasting their leadership styles, which, which were quite different. Um, and Kobe was more of the Jordan mold where it was more aggressive and abrasive at times, although that softened later, and I think part of that part of that softening happened as he got to learn how Bill Russell um, dealt with and impacted his teammates. So this is the you know the connection between Bill Russell the person and Bill Russell the player uh, is is of course important. And one of the reasons that he was so great uh, was that he understood like, what made him great as a person made him great as a player too. And, and just that curiosity and that striving for greatness. So Pete, you mentioned Russell as a player and I'd invite anyone to just go over to basketballreference.com, scroll down, look up Bill Russell. He's actually on the front page right now is like in memoriam. Click on his BR page, scroll down to the bottom where it rings out like the accolades 
right? And all that he sort of accomplished. And we often talk about him within the within the context of of winning. Bill Russell grabbed over 21,000 rebounds in a 13-year NBA career. He is still still second all time in total rebounds and in rebounds per game. Now, it was a different era, super fast pace, field goal percentages were not as high. So there were more rebounds to grab. I don't give a damn how many rebounds there were available to, to grab. If you're grabbing 22 and a half of those things a game, you are something of a different breed. His athleticism and his drive and the combination of those physical tools that he had combined with his mental sharpness and his instincts and his intuitiveness about what was important and how to play the game, that's what made him elite and special, Pete. Well, we see this with LeBron is that when you take uh, someone that's extremely athletically gifted and they're a genius at the same time, the things they can do, the ways they can impact winning. And in the second segment, we'll all get more into kind of the details of, of Russell's game and the, the in-between. But yeah, man, that's an incredible combination. When you have an elite athlete and a guy that sees things a half step, a step ahead of everybody else. And that's that's who Russell was. So... Man, there are these old clips, man, of him like racing the floor in transition. And mm -hmm. there was this one clip that I saw, and this was several years, years ago. And so maybe we can find it and like we'll push it out in, in the aftermath of the pod. But he literally like went to finish a basket. And he jumped from like somewhere like inside the free throw line, like probably the dotted line area and mm -hmm. just like literally jumped over a dude mm -hmm. in order to like finish at the cup. And he was like a great track athlete and a high jumper. And like he just did all of these like physical acts like on on the court and his instincts, I, like I'd love to get into this more in uh, the second half of the pod because he might have been the first like truly instinctual defender and and the first sort of chess player defender that the league ever saw. And the guys who you might place into that realm now are like the Anthony Davises or like the Draymond Greens, right? The players. Yeah, Draymond's who, a guy that I think of a lot with Russell. Mm -hmm. The guys who basically position their own body in in a way in order to invite a certain thing from the offensive player only to then counter the thing that they're baiting you to do and then take that away at the <laughs> last second in order to force a miss or block a shot or force a steal or a turnover or make have that player make a bad decision. Russell was one of the first players to do those sorts of things. And that psychological aspect and his mental dominance, we often attribute things like that, Mike, to like Michael Jordan, right? And that idea of like, I lord over the league through my sheer mental dominance over my opponents. Well, Russell was the first guy that was truly like mm -hmm. that, right? And so people look at Wilt a certain way, but Wilt did that through his physical ability will truly was Goliath, but it was Russell 
who slayed Goliath multiple times and Russell had a better team and all of this other stuff, but it was the mental side of the game that Russell mastered very early, even before his NBA career. And that's how he was the winner that he was really. Let's take a quick break and we come back. Let's talk more about him on the court. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Often during uh, broadcasts, Stu Lance uh, on a block shot will either celebrate or lament how the player blocked that shot, right? And one of the things that really irritates him is that if a player has a chance at a relatively easy block and they just swat that shit out of bounds, right? And the player he always references is Bill Russell, right? Bill Russell would block that, but block it in play into a teammate and start the fast break and from a basketball geek standpoint in the evolution of the actual game the Celtics and and Bill Russell in particular was the catalyst for this this one of the Celtics of the 60s great contributions to the game is the fast break and how they ran the fast break how they catalyzed the fast break and it was Russell who started all of that. Uh, we would almost make it akin to kind of like the, or he, he was one of the great first great rim protectors, right? In a in an era where there was no three point line, where dominating around the front of the rim was even more important than it is today, and it's obviously still very important. But it was the attention to those sorts of details, those sorts of I can, and this is before block shots, Mike, were even counted as a stat. 
Darius was talking about the crazy rebound numbers that he has. Who knows what his block shot numbers were, right? They didn't start counting those until the 73-74 season. He had already retired. And so Russell had an appreciation for the small parts of basketball that only other basketball geeks would really notice. Like, it's not the type of thing that a fan in the crowd is going to be like, oh, did you see that little detail that made it a little bit better for his team? But if you go back and watch Russell tape, Russell's tape, his outlet passing, the way he ran the floor, his rim protection, all of it, there's a brilliance to it that it's like the way he's doing this is super applicable to today. Day's game. And so just I think of all of the great defenders that, that Darius mentioned and, and many others, they really stand on his shoulders as the type as the types of players that do the little things that help your team win, even if they are not what comes with the accolades. But Russell got all of it because he did the things that helped his team win and that resulted in the championships and the accomplishment and the achievement. And like Kobe says, the banners hang forever, right? And so anyway, I that was with with Russell Mike that's the thing i really think about i always go back to Stu talking about you know blocking those shots and keeping them in bounds i think it's so illustrative of the type of player that russell was yeah for sure for sure it, russell it's it's also kind of complicated to try and explain what basketball was like in that age in one part because we didn't get to watch much of it like there there's just not that much video available but two, and I always think this is important for context. So like when trying to make Pete happy and maybe arguing against the Celtics as a franchise, I'll always point to the, the fact that there were only eight teams in the NBA, right? Um, for most of Russell's career. Now, later in his career, they added a ninth and then eventually a 12th, uh, like tw- it got to be 12 teams um, towards the end and, and things started to expand. So, but you can make the argument as to how this kind of enhances Russell's greatness in one hand and, and how it detracts from the, the larger picture as to how much more difficult it is to win a championship now, which it is, than it was then when there are that few teams. But the fact that he won almost all of them and he like shows his level of dominance, right? So it's it's a like it's not easy to, to repeat. It's not easy to have a dynasty. And when he was on the court, his team just won. There's also the stat where, like, his record in um, elimination games, right, after yeah. a certain point was it 14 or no. And, like, if you had to win one game, that yeah. was the guy. Like, he was the greatest player um, of, of his era, which just mm-hmm. by by its own right means a lot. Um, and that's just talking about basketball. That's not talking mm-hmm. about his impact off the court. Um, and it's also acknowledging that his offense wasn't particularly great. Like, he, he was a career regular season 44% shooter. Um, I think a lot of those – he didn't have the greatest touch um, around around the hoop, right? He was a lot of those rebounds. I think uh, probably came on offense uh, <laughs> when the, the ball was kind of bouncing around there. But and he did have this physical dominance, uh, unlike almost anybody but Wilt. And eventually, when Kareem comes into the league, which in its own right, that's a whole nother discussion. Does sure. that aid your greatness? Does it make you it less impressive for maybe like a guy like Kobe or Jordan size? So there's there's a lot to go through here, but I. I guess my main point, Pete, would just be that take all of the metrics that you want. Like he was the guy that won the most, and and because of him, not because of Bob Cousy, um, which Russell would be very clear to tell you, and that was a whole nother thing where he would get annoyed <laughs> when 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 uh, especially in Boston, right? When it was like, oh, it's Cousy's team. Oh yeah, and then there's this guy. Uh, no, 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 no. Like, no, 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 no. So no, no, no. it's funny. A lot of my animosity towards. Boston is actually like none of it's for Bill Russell, nor has it ever been. In fact, a decent portion of it is 
how they treated Russell. And like, I saw, I remember seeing a poll a few years back posted by a Boston fan of like, who's the greatest athlete in Boston history? Is it Tom Brady? Is it Ted Williams, Bobby Orr, or Larry Bird? This man won you 11 championships. Red Arbach retired and Russell said, fine, I'll just coach the team. And then they won two more. And the point, and, and here's the thing about those Celtics teams. They were not so much do- more dominant. They weren't the 2001 Lakers most years where they're like sweeping everyone, the Golden State Warriors with Durant. No, they beat this, they beat us five times in either game six or game seven of the finals. These were not sweeps. These were not blowouts. But it speaks to that level of genius, though, of that when it was close between two teams, and oftentimes it was, Russell would find a way. He'd figure it out. He'd figure out how to stop what it was that you were doing He'd figure out a way to bait you into the thing that he wanted you to do. Like the tape that does exist on Russell. I've watched a lot of it. And like he was that dude, man. Just adding the element to the willpower to, to all of the intelligence. And like that's again another thing I think with the Kobe and the Jordan. Like mm-hmm. he was going to find some way because he wanted it more. Yeah, thank you for bringing this up. What There's that clip. I'm misremembering this, but hoping that you, one of you guys can help me on this. It was a, a Hall of Fame thing. I want to say like Mutumbo's up there. There's a bunch of big men. And like Russell walks up and he's like, you know, I'd kick all your asses, right? Like he says something along those lines to all these great big men kind of like together, right? And so that's totally part of it. I'm glad that you brought it up is that it's that level of genius, but also that like, I'm absolutely not going to lose to you mentality that, uh, yeah, he was, he was the first of those two. I want to say that was at the ESPYs one Mm, year. It it was one of those celebration where all of there were so many athletes there. I think wasn't it the league the, the league's first award show, right? When they had it on TNT. Oh, the, uh, yes, yes, that's yeah. probably right. That's why it was all of the big yes. men. That, right, that yes. makes sense. Bill Russell, man. All of the things that you guys have brought up; these are the different facets of the man and of the player. And we're old now, so we're the olds. That's us now. There was a time where we were not that Pete. And that's Mike, right, but we are that now. <laughs> And so here we are waxy poetically about Bill Russell, but a player that we never saw either live. Right. What I will say, though, is, is that because we're old, we have the benefit of having seen so many players over the years, seeing like Michael Jordan's entire career or Kobe Bryant's entire career or Tim mm-hmm. Duncan or Dirk Nowitzki or Kevin Garnett and all of these great players. And remembering when they were young and kind of the arc of their story, the full version yes. of their basketball story. And so what you or what I've learned to appreciate about players is that it's not just one thing that makes them what they are. It's and it's why I always try to take the approach of like these players as people. Right. And Mm -hmm. what makes up the human is what that's also what then carries forward in order to make you the athlete. That you are right. And these things are not separate. They're not compartmentalized. These things they carry with them. And Kobe was talking one time about Bill Russell. And he had talked about Russell in terms of talking to Kobe, had mentioned, I think Kobe had asked him about, like, oh, well, it was so hard for you, like in, in terms of society and like the progress and the the things that fans were yelling at you then are much different and much more vile than the things that like they might hear players right now might hear. And 
Kobe was like, so how did you deal with that? And Russell explained to him that he heard all that. And what he did is, is he didn't compartmentalize that and push it to the side. He took all of that in. It's fuel. And he used that to fuel him and to drive him. And it was another point that Kobe had then used as, as like, ah, like this is, you take everything, right? Yeah. And you absorb it all and you use all of that in order to propel you forward. So I think about how then, Mike, you can't separate Bill Russell sitting up there with like Jim Brown and young Kareem and Muhammad Ali and the things that they're fighting for off of the court. All of the social issues that were not just like, oh, a random thing here, here or there. It was it was like this is our lives and the state of the country that they live in pre-civil rights. It's like we're on the front lines here marching for that. And all of the stories that we won't get into now necessarily, but that you read and have heard told over and over again about the things that Russell faced in Boston from fans of the Celtics. And these are the people who live in his neighborhood or in the surrounding areas and the vandalism to his home and, and the robberies and all of this other stuff that happened to him. All of this to stand so tall mm-hmm. and to achieve so much in the face of that, to me, it only magnifies the accomplishments. It only shows and proves what type of man he was even more, right? Because there is no way to separate those things from the things you're trying to achieve in your professional life. There's no way you could ever. And and that's why whenever I think of Russell, I'm glad you said this at the beginning, Pete, but it is like the full man. It is the full picture that matters because all of that together is what makes him who he was. I wanted to kick this over to Pete because I'm just thinking in the context of what Darius is discussing there about Wilt Chamberlain, who is a contemporary a little bit younger, but didn't win to the level that Russell did. And it, and then talking about Kobe and Russell is almost like, like Kobe's intensity for, at least for fans that didn't get a chance to, to spend a lot of time, you know, as we might have researching and reading about Russell. So just think about Kobe's mentality, but in a much bigger guy. Right. And, and sure, like he didn't have all of the skills that Kobe had on the offensive side, but his physical dominance was such that paired with that level, that mentality level, that he was just able to dominate games. And and how does that underscore the center position and what the NBA was and how you had to have that position and then where the NBA is now, Pete? I, I know that's a big question, but can you put some context behind that and how that how that what that teaches us about basketball? I, I can try. <laughs> so yeah, the the classic Bill Russell versus Wilt Chamberlain. For some reason, basketball in particular, although it makes sense in that it is probably the most individualistic team sport, right? Like compared to the NFL or Major League Baseball, at the very least, one guy makes can make all of the difference, right? And so that always that's always served as the backdrop for kind of the barbershop talks, right? Like the who you got, Russell or Wilt? Right. And that was one of the that was probably the first great in the NBA, like who you got. And you see this same thing on Twitter today of rank these players, cut, bench, start, blah, 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 right? It's always been the same thing. And it's this 
what underlies that is kind of who is king of the court. And Russell and Wilt, I think, both represented different ways to be that. I think that Wilt can often be remembered as maybe not winning as much as he could have or should have with someone of his his incredible statistical accomplishments, his physical abilities. There's if you go through the year by year, there's uh, there's a year in like a game seven where he didn't play in the fourth quarter because his ankle he had an injury. I don't want to misremember the story. Right. But he was always perceived as being soft for not playing through that. Right. And so that's not fair. There's also the benefit that Russell had of having multiple Hall of Fame teammates. Those were good teams, even outside of Bill Russell. Now, they're not championship teams, and no one remembers almost any of them without without Russell. But I think what they showed from an encore perspective is there's different ways to win. There's different ways to dominate. I always found it inter- find it interesting that when a player is getting heckled, especially a guy like I can think of incidents specifically with LeBron and Draymond, right? Where someone's talking shit in the crowd and they'll look at them and say something along the lines of like, the hell do you know about basketball? Right? Like, oh, just throwing the ball in the hoop. Right. And it's, it's this very like kind of smug and condescending type of retort. Right. But the reason I think that they go to that is that there is this world, there is this side of the game within the details, and it only exists within the details where the game is actually won. And if you can master those spaces, Draymond is the most the most glaring example of this because he doesn't have much in the way of skill. He doesn't have much in the way of athleticism. Whereas a guy like Russell was, he had athleticism too, right? It wasn't just his genius, but Draymond is kind of a distillation of that genius. And so in trying to encapsulate the, the game's first great barbershop debate, they come down to me of being two different ways of being dominant at the game's most important position, at least at its very beginnings. Well, I would say that still one of the most important positions is just that the level of which that position has been played has fallen off as other things have been emphasized across the league. Like, who were the first three players taken in this last NBA draft? One of them is Paolo Bancaro. He is like a 6'9", 6'10", power forward type ball handler. Another one is Chet Holmgren who's a 7-2, rail-thin, power-forward-slash-center with all of these skills. And the other guy is um, Jabari Smith, mm-hmm. who's another like sort of rangy, big-forward, um, some defensive chops who can uh, shoot the three-ball some. But size, like the NBA at its core, Pete, you had mentioned this at the beginning. Well, there was no three-point line with Russell and protecting the rim and, and scoring inside was still super important. Ask any NBA head coach now. Ask Darvin Ham. Shit, you're going to be able to talk to him a bunch this season. Ask him where he thinks where he thinks defense is going to start. And I guarantee you, from all of his years coaching under Budenholzer, he's going to tell you, yeah, we're going to make sure no one scores at the basket. Right. And so those things that Russell and Wilt and after them, you know, Jabbar and go on down the line through the great big men of the league. Those things still matter. They are still the prototype, like throw Bill Russell in today's NBA. And guess what? He's going to be a dominant player. 
He's going to change ends like Gazelle. He's going to block shots around the basket. His genius is what translates. And his athleticism is what translates. And this is why arguments about, and I'm not going to like knock J.J. Reddick's comments here about because those were taken out of context. And then he got someone said them to Jerry West about like how Bob Cousy played against like firemen and plumbers. Right, right. right. And I understood where JJ was coming from. And there was a funny quip on a morning debate show, which are, those guess. are the things that First go back off, and forth. I don't think it's funny at all. I'm sorry. I need to go on a side tangent just real quick Please. on this. Why do we trash? Why is the NBA? Do other sports do this to the same degree of the like the plumbers and, and all that crap? Like, why are we? And then Lord knows the, the old guys go after the young guys every chance sure. that they get. What the hell is that? I saw the whole clip. It was There's some human nature in there, Pete. That, that, that is what people t- tend to do, right? They tend to kind of find ways to make sales better than others. And not I, everybody yeah, does it. Yeah, but this 100%, is hundred percent. But, but why is that stuff. more? Is it more in basketball? Because basketball is more individual. It's not. No, I don't think it's that much more basketball. I just think that you're you and I like we're more in the basketball. We're sphere. immersed in it. Sure. Yeah. So sure. you just you're just familiar with all of the slights. And every time you hear Charles Barkley talk, um, <laughs> inside the, you know, it's we're just more aware of it. That's all. Fair enough. I'd love to hear from the listeners in the comments, right? Like that maybe follow other sports in a little more balanced way. Yeah, sure. Uh, Yeah. I will say, though, that the point about the big man, like I think um, and Bomani Jones says this a lot, but I think he got it from Bob Ryan that there's really when you talk about the greatest players of of all time, there should be like a separate wing for centers. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's just like. The league in and of itself, the best big men will always, in theory, be the best ever, right? Because because that height and the ability to control the basket area is still what matters most in the NBA. Like, I don't know if you guys saw this the other day, because this clip probably comes out every four or five years. You'll see someone sort of bring it back out. But both these players were well beyond their primes and retired. But there was like a one-on-one match between Kareem and Dr. J. And it took place in like 1992 or something like that, right? And Kareem was kicking the living shit out of Dr. J, right? Like he just was. At one point, you look at the score and it's like 17 to 5 or something like that. At one point, Kareem shoots almost like a step back three and like banks it in from the top of the key. And everyone's just hooting and hollering. And it's like a half full (laughs) gym, but a gym of like 17,000 people. So there's still like eight, nine, 10,000 people there watching these two old dudes basically play one-on-one. But it shows you... That Like at one point, Kareem basically just backed Dr. J down from like 20 feet and then shot like a layup. And it's sort of just like that's the difference, right? Like that's the difference right there between the elite big man and the elite wing, right? It's like the big man is almost always going to have just these innate advantages when the rim is 10 feet tall. And if you have Mm -hmm. a modicum of skill, you're just going to be like, yeah, I'm busting your ass because I'm seven feet tall. And so I think about a player like Russell Mike. And I just think about how the lineage of the great big man from Mike in to even you could throw Bob Pettit in there to a certain extent who who was more of a forward. But like Mike in and Pettit and Russell and then Wilt and then Jabbar and then all of those players through through the 80s. Right. The the Ewings and the David Robinsons and the Olajuwans and then Shaq and. There's always going to be a place 
for that level of big man. And so I just wanted to hit on that point that you were talking about in terms of Pete, because the evolution of the game, yes, the game will change. But there's a reason why Chet Holmgren is going to be taken number two overall in almost, or number one or in that range in almost any given draft because the infatuation with the next great big man will never go away. <laughs> and it's from, and that origin is from players like, like Bill Russell. It's because when you win 11 championships in 13 years and you have Pete's basically saying here that those were really good teams. But you know who was the guy who made them what they were? It was Bill Russell. The league, that's fleeting. The league will always look for that next dude who is going to be the anchor on both sides of the court that will control the basket area because the import of that will never go away in a league where the rim is 10 feet high, ever. Well, the rim is 10 feet tall. And so that's the one of the few equalizers in, in all team sports where like that impacts the types of players that that are going to be good much more so than a hockey goal or like whatever it is where, where the size doesn't necessarily have to make that much of a difference. What I thought about though, Darius and that one-on-one thing, well, Dr. J can't shoot. And so that is the one thing where the game has evolved, where if you, now you have Steph Curry go against a big, it's a little bit different or Kobe or even Jordan, who wasn't like a great shooter, but could certainly knock down shots. And so that's where the game has evolved to me, where now in LeBron being like being able to be 270 pounds, although, you know, I'm sure he fluctuates between 250 to so whatever. And, and all of that is so interesting. But the only other thing I want to say is just the Laker element to this with Bill Russell and how he was really the guy responsible for a lot of misery <laughs> in, in Los Angeles. Sure. And in a, a lot of ways, like the foil that then created like the Lakers that it gave them something to chase after a North star, something to try and reach a pinnacle. Like he, he in a lot of ways is, is has a certain level of responsibility for the Laker dynasty and, and ultimately the Lakers being the greatest franchise, which of course they've surpassed Boston um, by winning so much since then. But that, I just felt like that, that specific tie has to be mentioned when we, when we do a Bill Russell pot. So, so let's close it out on this. I started watching winning time. I hadn't watched it all the way up to this point. And sorry, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it yet and you're dying to, I'm about to give something away. But at the end of the second episode, there's earlier in the episode, Dr. Jerry Buzz had just bought the team and he wants to have dinner with Red Arbach to kind of learn his winning ways. And like, what can I learn from you to, to become like this, right? And Arbach is like, listen, kid, you ain't shit. Like, I'm that dude, like, you're never getting this. You're not a serious enough person to do this. And then the closing scene of the episode is alone in the form. The form is absolutely empty and it's the OG form, right? With the the old logo on the court and the yellow and red. And they meet at center court. This is obviously like something that never actually happened, but it's like Dr. Jerry Buss, Red Arbach, center court of an empty form, very dramatic. And throughout the rest of the show, Jerry Buss is this very like optimistic person, like we're going to go get it. We're going to do it. And he's very just like in a good mood. And Arbach even comments on this as they're talking like, oh, you seem like a happy person. And Jerry Buss says, I realized after having dinner with you that what I need to do is cut your fucking heart out. And that's how this needs to go. Right. And so there's part of me, my Lakers nationalist inside of me is like, yeah, right. You know, and I but there's another part of me that like. 
the fact that it's Red Arbok that's held up as the like centerpiece, the genius, the architect of it all is disgusting. It's Bill Russell. It's Bill Russell, right? And so Bill Russell was it was his greatness that carried the legend of so many people and like for me, even though he was the foil and someone that caused the Lakers a lot of misery. Maybe I'd feel differently if I was older and I actually went through the misery as opposed to it being a theoretical misery. I have nothing but respect, right? Because it was him that was the at the centerpiece of it through his skill and mastery of the game. And like Kobe's tweet to LeBron, keep pushing the game forward. Russell was one of those people that pushed the game forward that did something well the first time you know, or paid extra attention to something the first time and, and illustrated its value to everybody else. And so rest in peace to the game's greatest winner. We are going to be a little more sparse in August uh, as far as recording goes. So we're going to be back on Thursday. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block shot that a lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Bryant. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.